Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. <laughs> and I'm Ann Friedman. Love that pause. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know why. I always get this, like, I get panics, like, saying my own name. <laughs> and every time I imagine myself saying, hello, I'm Ann Friedman, and now we're like, one person meld has, like, finally happened. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to, like, I mean, listen, I'm flattered. We should just switch it up. You can totally identify as me for, for an episode. I'm just trying to identify as you when I try to buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you should say that, having not seen my bank account. Um, don't worry, we'll make it work. On this week's agenda, quick update about our new web shop and a reminder to buy tickets to our Philly show. Plus, we talk gender differences in obituaries and the things that obituaries tend to miss about women. Joyce Wadler, our favorite New York Times columnist you've never heard of, cross-generational friendships. Plus, what's Hillary Clinton been up to? Samantha Irby on lattes and avocado toast. And Amanda Chantel Bacon, your scammer's favorite scammer. Plus, shout out to Tucci and Goldblum fanfic in the kitchen. What's going on? I went to the coffee shop this morning and the guy was like, oh, I haven't seen you in a week. And I was like, that's because my wife was here. <laughs> I didn't have to get my own coffee for a week. It's been the transition back into doing my own stuff has been rough. I mean, not so much all of my own stuff, but like I made my own breakfast today and I was like, wow, like I'd, I had, I, we had really like divided the domestic labor perfectly. <laughs> I know. And then in, I like, like made week. too many eggs. Like it was crazy today. I feel very stupid. Like, I just, like, couldn't figure it out. I was like, wow, one week of having a, like, good partner and I forgot how to take care of myself. I know. I know. It's real. Um, and I really anyway. wish I could do a Borat impression. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've been thinking about. Uh, I'm not even going to try. Anyway, how's it going? Oh, my gosh. I've been so deep in it because we just launched our new summer merch run. And I am, what? like... I know, I know. And in our, like, I think I think we talked about this a little bit on our biz episode, but, like, in our division of CYG labor, shop is a little bit more in my zone with a lot of great help from Carly Knowles, who, you know, really does the hard work of keeping things running. But anyway, it is, like, a very exciting day to be saying, like, you can actually go to callyourgirlfriend.com and buy such incredible stuff. Oh my God. I, I could like put my paws on everything. It was great. <laughs> um, I, I love that. Like, you know, it's like, you know, like me and Gina are like, Ooh, here's what we want. And then you and Carly make magic happens. Like that makes me very happy. Okay. So I called Carly for this episode because kind of as a follow-up to that biz episode, but also just because we love transparency in general. We talked about the ways that really like a one woman run shop, I mean, I help a little, but it's mostly her, the ways in which that works and doesn't work and kind of the ways we have changed and altered some of the policies to make it more realistic for like a, a micro business like us. Carly, welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. Hey, how are you? I am so happy to be talking to you on the front end of things because you are the essentially one woman show who runs everything with our shop behind the scenes. How are you feeling about this summer merch run? I'm really excited. It's definitely my favorite um, run we've done so far. And I think everyone will really love it. So we're, we're doing things a little bit differently, both, in, both from how we've done them in the past and from how a lot of other like online shopping works. And mm -hmm. maybe you can talk about the changes we made this time and why, like from a biz perspective, we made them. Yeah, so when we launched the shop last year, we ordered pretty much all of our merchandise up front and sold it kind of, you know, as we went. And I think over the holidays, we people maybe weren't able to get their hands on everything they wanted to. So we kind of switched over to a pre-order just to make sure that everybody who wanted, you know, their own Shine Theory button that we had enough and were able to ship it out. This time where everything's going to be pre-order, that means that for three weeks, everyone has an equal opportunity to order everything they want. Cutting down on, we don't have a warehouse to stock everything full time either. So we can yeah. plan it. We have more control. 
And I think that like if you have people whose full-time job it is to fulfill and ship merch, you don't need like to set these kind of rules, right? Because everyone's mm-hmm. coming into work every day. And for you, like you are a woman who hustles and you have other jobs. You don't only do this for us. And I know. So, like, yeah. I have a full-time job and other hustles too. So this is my after after work and weekend gig. So it's nice to be able to get a little balance and plan everything. <laughs> right. So you can be like in intense shipping mode for a while. And then the rest of the time, it's not like you have to take time out of your day to ship like three buttons. Yeah. And I loved the way we did this now. I actually had a lot more time to plan and design and work with our designers to, you know, put together some really cool products. Oh, my God. Okay. That's actually a perfect segue. Tell me mm-hmm. about the designers who we worked with for this merch run. So I think our number, our designer we worked with was Lindsay Ith friend of the podcast and one of my besties. So it was really cool to get to work with her one-on-one here in Austin to come up with some really cool stuff. She put together the beach towel. We did a super cool office pack and she put together a bumper sticker too. So, and and she did a really good job, I think, of taking a lot of the original designs that Mm -hmm. another friend of the podcast, Kanisha Sneed, made for us and adapting them. Like she did this incredible thing with, you know, we have this logo that's like kind of like two women's women in silhouette talking and Mm -hmm. to make the beach towel design she like turned it on its side and like made it kind of this more abstract pattern and it is like it is the coolest thing yeah we love 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 the beach towel if you haven't seen it yet it's like super luxe and plush and just very cozy and I tested it by the pool and it's very absorbent and dries quickly. Yes. Um, and it's funny, like as soon as we decided we were going to do merch, like Amina's first request was like, mm-hmm. please, can we have a beach towel? And so this is like a dream fulfilled. <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot of time researching beach towels and making sure we had like the best one we could possibly get. So it's super luxe and woven, not printed on the fabric. Just perfect. Okay, so more behind the scenes. We've been referring to this towel. And P.S., like for pre-order purposes, we only got one that we Mm -hmm. can photograph. Mm -hmm. We've been referring to it as the most expensive towel in the world. (laughs) Maybe um, maybe you can explain a little bit about what what that nickname comes from. Yeah, so um, before we order any merchandise that we put in the shop, we always do production samples to make sure we're 100% happy with how it, you know, we don't want to sell you something we don't love. So for the beach towel, we had to order a one-off and it was extremely expensive just to have one towel made because they have to set up all their threads and weave it together. So we're not getting the price break we would get from ordering, you know, a hundred towels. So definitely the most expensive towel, but it was worth it. We love it. (laughs) Tell CYG fans how expensive the most expensive towel in the world was. Oh, okay. Um, It was $500 to have this Ah! one towel made, so... (laughs) Yeah. Taking a big risk, but we I was I was super nervous the whole time like we were waiting for it to ship that it was just going to be awful and that we just threw away $500, but but it was great. Good. Yeah, I was very well, relieved. I was relieved when you guys got it and loved it and sent me a, a an unveiling video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, oh my, maybe we'll have to post sometime our unboxing video, but yeah. um the most expensive towel in the world is a real lesson for me anyway too of like why some things look like they cost so much money. Because essentially, in order to pay up front for that $500 towel, we have to like redistribute some of that cost back into Mm -hmm. the price of all the ones we sell. And so it's like, you know, we're selling it for $70, which I think is expensive, but like, you know, it's a really nice item. And part of that price is because we had to get like, you know, basically because we were doing quality control, you know? Yeah. This, yeah. And we hired somebody to design it too. So that's all a part of it. So it's just a really nice, well thought out, I think, beautifully designed towel. So definitely the best towel you can buy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And it's made in the USA if that's something that's important to you and as a shopper. <laughs> it also says, see you on the internet, boo, on the mm-hmm. towel. So it's like mm-hmm. perfect for Instagramming every time you're at the beach <laughs> or at the pool. Yes, or at the pool. Any other like things that you want people to know other than that you work hard and you're one human being and this is why we did the pre-order? As far as like questions we've gotten or anything like that, we've had a few customers ask about the international shipping. So just to touch on that is it's um, I kind of fleshed out the um, shop policy section a little bit more if you're curious about why. It is like a little bit more expensive and it's because we do the shipping method we use. Everything has to ship as a package. So we make sure you get it. 
So there's not much we can do about that, unfortunately. But if you want to go read about why the, it's priced the way it is, I added that in. But yeah. And I would recommend maybe if you have a friend who's also, you know, interested in ordering some stuff from the shop, maybe you guys can split shipping. Because if you look with the different weight, it pretty much starts at one price, but you can order a few items and it stays the same price. So that would be my tip if you're trying to cut down on shipping costs. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Bottom line is stuff is expensive and stores are hard to run. And we mm-hmm. are just figure, figuring it out as we go along and trying to make some cute stuff in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is the URL for the shop? <laughs> oh, it's callyourgirlfriend.com shop. Also, be sure to read through the pre-order information if you have any questions about when stuff's going to ship out. And some things, I think most importantly, it's going to have different ship dates, like the towel's going to ship a little farther out. So make sure if you want your other stuff shipped sooner to do separate orders. I know. It sounds like a huge pain, but like this is what we're trying to do because we're not a full-time shop. It's a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure if you're trying to get it sooner, like, you know... Just do separate orders and we'll send it out as soon as it's ready. Okay, thanks, Carly. Oh, and while we have you here, what what of your many other hustles do you want to plug? What's going on with you? I run a zine called Women Artists, and we're going to start working on some fun t-shirts in our next issue soon. So that's, that's what I'm working on after this. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, that's really where we're the most active at women underscore artists. Thanks, Carly. Talk to you soon. This is exciting. So like limited edition, like we'll probably never, if you don't get it now, you'll probably never get it again and stuff. This is exciting. I know we, we're like really moving into like a we reward, like your loyalty to us zone. I think that's what this is. So for the next two weeks, you can go to callyourgirlfriend.com slash shop and get it before it's gone because it will be gone. Trust me. We get those late breaking emails like, hey, can I get a sweatshirt? And it's like, no, it's July. You can't get a sweatshirt. Um, and shout out to Kat Araujo, who took all of the photos for this merch shoot. Oh, yes. The best. We had the best time in our photo shoot with Kat. So look for those photos on social. Slowly, surely, a trickle. <laughs> um, also, if you want to be the first to get these updates about everything that's going on with Merch World for us, but everything else like live shows too, you should subscribe to The Bleed, our email newsletter. Um, You can find that on our website too. We never plug it here, but like we send a great email once a month, so we should, right? (laughs) I know. And also the people who respond to The Bleed, I'm just like, wow, you are really like, you like get it. It's awesome. And speaking of live events, we're still coming to Philly, July 16th. Definitely on track to sell out that show. So... Tell all your friends and uh, see you July 16th at the Trocadero. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Oh, man. And I was in Philly this weekend, though. Oh, my God. Like, Philly is cute. It's like, it's so tough of going to visit cities that I like because I'm like, oh, could definitely live here. And I'm like, calm down. You just put shelves on your wall. Like, you're not allowed to look at living anywhere else. But Philly was so, so, so fun. You're saying you have a wandering eye for cities. <laughs> I definitely do. Like I went to visit friends that are like kind of newly moved there and they like showed us around and it was just it was just super, super, super like chill. And on Sunday, we went to the Colored Girls Museum and uh, it's I, I believe it's only open on Sundays. And it like, honestly, I like I still haven't fully processed what it was like being in a museum that spoke directly to me. It's run out of this, like, wonderful woman's house called Vashti Du Bois. She's a legend, like, iconic woman, like, everything. And the story about, like, why she started the museum and kind of her life and how just, like, entrenched she is in, like, Philly everything was really amazing. It's just, like, remarkable to go into a museum that it's somebody's house. It's, like, all day I've been looking for a hostess gift for her because I really, like, felt like she let us into her house talking about all of the ways that, like, uh, colored women are. And she is, like, super conscious about, like, using the word colored for talking about this before anybody comes for me and it's like, that is a bad word. It's like, please check yourself. Yeah, in all of the ways that, like, the colored girl is ordinary and is extraordinary. And I will not do it justice, but, like, if you live in Philly or you are passing through Philly, make time to go to the Colored Girls Museum. It will change your life. 
I also just love, there is something about a really well done kind of like personal passion project museum like this. Like, you know, a lot of cities have them and they're very much the like not on the beaten path, like not in all of the guidebooks kind of thing. And I love, I love that you've already sourced the must see for me when I'm in Philly. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Between this and uh, the fact that like all of our Philly listeners have sent us like great like co- like cocktail bar recommendations, I think we're like set for July. I'm very excited to go visit again. Uh, yes. A couple episodes ago, we were talking about men in rompers and you were like trying to remember the name of your favorite Bond, who is like not an iconic Bond in a romper, but but a different iconic Bond. And we and we couldn't remember Roger Moore. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a remember situation. It was just a member. (laughs) I don't know which one of these you are, you know, like a handsome like old white guys that I'm just like oh like you know definitely like in the bottom of the spank bank but uh you know I don't know your name so but then plot twist plot twist it was Sir Roger Moore I'm I'm making up that he was <laughs> Sir <third> to ever <laughs> but he like died I know and so a, fr- a friend of the podcast texted uh, texted Gina, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and was like, oh my gosh, I hope that they never forget my name because it's basically a death sentence. And then I was like, wow, deep superstition. Anyway, Roger Moore, sorry we forgot your name. I know. R.I.P. R- Roger Moore, thank you for your legacy. Also, cold-blooded. Call your girlfriend sometimes. But also, this is funny because we have been wanting to talk for a long time about our shared passion for reading obituaries. Like I would say in the links that we send each other, a high percentage are obituaries of women who have done incredible things who we have like somehow never heard of. Yes, because I mean, there's so it, it's insane that it's like if you follow the obituary, like, uh, you know, like the obituary industrial complex, like you're going to just come across like amazing rad ladies who kind of don't get talked about until they die. And that like infuriates me. But also, you know, I think it's also our shared passion of like, we just like hearing about what women who are older than us are up to. You know, it's like an obituary, like well done is it's like a celebration of life and other ways are just these infuriating ways that women still get written out of history. Like, uh, what was the obituary? Remember when it was like this woman who was like a super, a super like STEM, like amazing scientist. And the first thing that her obituary was about was how she was really good at making like goulash or something. And I wanted to scream. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there is, there's actually a study about this. So there are some academics looked at 869 obituaries, death notices and memorials and looked at like the way men versus women are compared. And I mean, I'm going to let you guess. I'm sure you can make many guesses about what the differences were. Like, mm, men get described by their, like, careers and professional And women always get described by their family accomplishments. Um, yeah, I was talking about the Yvonne Brill um, uh, obituary in the Times. Like, she she was an actual rocket scientist. Like, I, you know, like, there's, like, very few of those in existence. And her obituary was, like, all about how she, like, made great beef stroganoff. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the other thing that this study found is that when you look at the photos that accompany obituaries for men versus women, the uh, discrepancy between the like actual age or the age at death and the estimated picture age was significantly greater for women as opposed to men. So like basically, wow. you know, and I, this is something that's bothered me a lot, actually, where um, especially when you think about like writers or people, women who are sort of known for their intellectual pursuits, but then are kind of like meme famous, you know, like the way that all the photos of Joan Didion are her outside that Corvette at age like 28, as opposed to now, even though a lot of the work that's being discussed now is the work from later in her life. Yeah, but it's like, that's when she was like, you know, like uh, easy on the eyes, as the people would say. Exactly. And I'm like, even women who like we all acknowledge are like easy on the brain or rather hard on the brain. I know. I'm like, give me my women (laughs) hard on the brain. Uh, yeah so anyway and it's like and it's the thing I catch myself doing too right like oh like a really fashionable like old Gloria Steinem photo as opposed to a new one 
um, or a recent one, stuff like that. Yeah, or it's like, like an old DVF photo. I feel like there's that mm. one that we're all obsessed with when she's in her like pink office or whatever. And I mean, you know, I think that that cuts both ways, right? I think that one of the reasons that I love those photos is just like a reminder that, um, you know, I'm like sometimes like, oh, everybody was young. Like there's nothing like remarkable about being a young person. Like you're just like a fool if you like think that that's it. But I feel like it gives you the fuller picture. But I definitely agree with you about how we choose to memorialize people and what we choose to remember them by, especially like in the looks department is, you know, like for women, it can be like very limiting and insulting. Yeah. And then also, I mean, I get like, you know, a, a daily morning New York Times email that, and that always features three obituaries at the bottom. And you better believe I'm paying attention to how many of those obituaries are for white men and how many of those obituaries are for everybody else. Yeah. It's also just like who gets memorialized, you know? It's crazy. I just watched this like HBO documentary, uh, If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast, which is like actually delightful because it's all about um, people who are like, like 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But it's all about like, you know, like the secret to living into your 90s It's like and people who are really happy. Tony Bennett's in the film, like Mel Brooks, Dan Harper, Norman Lear, Dick Van Dyke, Betty White. But again, it's just like I, I like and I fucking loved it. But I was like, wow, are you trying to tell me that only, like, <laughs> old white men live to be, like, 90 and happy about it? You know, like, that was just, it was such a, like, that was, like, the super depressing part of it. Like, I'm like, this documentary is, like, exhilarating and great and, like, not enough representation in it. Yeah, totally. Also a continuation of our conversation last week about the fact that even if some people who make these choices about who to make movies about and who to feature in articles, even if those people aren't interested in the lives of older women, like we definitely are. <laughs> and a lot of people definitely are. Yeah, you know, but also I think that so much, of you know, like so much of it is like, like that is one place that like writing about women can be revolutionary is... I feel like I've learned so much about the history of women or, like, feminism from reading obituaries mm. in just, like, things that I just had no idea of. Like, there was a woman who was, like, got married, didn't change her name, and uh, got, basically, like, went to try to vote, and they, like, had taken her off of the voter rolls, and she challenged that all the way to the Supreme Court, and that's all come, like, women get to keep their names if they want now. <laughs> wow. And... I read that like uh, in a Baltimore paper obituary. Well, or more recently, what what got us started talking about this before we were recording is this obituary for Roxy Bolton, who was a feminist activist who did a bunch of things to support the Equal Rights Amendment, but also to get the National Hurricane Center to stop naming hurricanes exclusively after women. Uh, it's like, what did she call you know, them? <laughs> Wasn't it like him canes or something? <laughs> like I'm that. looking for it right now. It's like pretty amazing. She gave a quote at the time that women, quote, deeply resent being arbitrarily associated with disaster. It's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> true story. Just like a true, true, true story. It's like both great and infuriating to read about, like to read obituaries about women. You're like, in, in one sense, I'm like, oh, everything I know about like so many women who did amazing shit is from here. But also like, here's how they're reduced to being like, Moms and homemakers, and to be clear, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but clearly, like, it's like men get to live, like, full lives outside of the home, and women who do, like, amazing stuff are still defined by primarily, like, what they're doing in the home, even when they're rocket scientists. Yeah, it's also a real barometer, like, obituaries and what ends up up top is a real barometer for, like, what society sees as important and what isn't. So, like, even in this Roxy Bolton obit, which is super interesting, the hurricane thing makes it into the headline and the photo and the lead. And until you read much further down, like, I'm talking about, like, at least halfway through the article, um, two-thirds maybe even, it says she founded what has been called the nation's first rape treatment center in what? Miami. <laughs> It's like, hello. I mean, I get it. I, the hurricane thing, it's like interesting, but like, you know, you have to you have to scroll like this far into the article to be like, she was actually a pioneer in serving this completely stigmatized and underserved population that is like still underserved and stigmatized, you know? And it's like, no, I wonder why it appears two thirds of the way down instead of like right up top. It's a real sign of like what we still have to work on. <laughs> it is making me like very sad that this is what is going on. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, although like the more you know, the closer you read. Like I wonder, I wonder like like how those choices have changed over time, right? Like as opposed to 
I don't have any data to support this, but I'm like, but I'm sure it is more likely for women to be described by professional achievements, like first and foremost, than it was, you know, years and years ago, or even make it to the obit section at all, just as like, as values change about like, what is important work within and outside the home. Yeah. And also when you think about, uh, you know how like whenever a celebrity dies, you're like, oh my God, how did the times get on this like so fast? Like clearly, you know, like there are people who just like write obituaries for people who are in the moment all of the time. Wow, that sounds like a really depressing job. But, you know, I'm just like, I wonder how those people are thinking about their jobs changing on the slate of like, here are people that should be memorialized like fast enough, like where they are taking all of that into consideration to their workflows. Like, you know, and that's the thing that like, we'll never really have an idea on, but it would make me feel better to know that that was happening. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm like obituary activism, a real line of work there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like always be vigilant. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, no, is, totally. Now that I enjoy reading obituaries, wow, another morbid uh, situation. It's just I pay more attention to that stuff. I'm always thinking about ideas for things that I don't actually have the time to follow through on. But like, what if someone did some kind of women's media project that was like, let me find these obituaries from the time and rewrite them in a way that like is worthy of the lives that these women lived or like to do some research that has totally gone, um, you know, below the radar about who these people were. Like I would, I would, I would pay for that publication. I'd be like, sign me up to rewritten obituaries. Yeah. (laughs) freeideas.biz we will generate the idea if somebody will execute on it seriously we will support you on this podcast if you if you give me better obituaries about women i'm there from the obituary one thing that we also both enjoy <laughs> doing a uh, very special category of links that we send to each other is Joyce Wadler's column in the New York Times who is Joyce Wadler for people who have not heard of her oh my god who is Joyce Wadler the name of my novel Joyce Wadler is a columnist at the Times who is a delightful lady who is in her late 60s she's a writer and humorist her column now is all about like the joys trials and tribulations of being an older lady but she's like hilarious one i feel like joyce waller does not get enough credit for how funny she is and everything that she writes about is so current and i have those issues (laughs) like i relate to this is so real it's like my favorite thing to read every time she writes. Yeah, and it's like every two weeks or so, I think. Like, yes. it's not like super regular. Yeah, I know. That's why it's like it's an event every time she writes. Totally. I think she's had like breast cancer and ovarian cancer, definitely. And she just like writes about like the full, you know, like the full spectrum of like being a cancer survivor, being an older lady who like is seeing men and having sex and how do you get rid of your sex toys and like... All of these very, um, like, yeah, just very, like, fresh and current thoughts. I don't know. I, like, I really and, enjoy reading her column. Totally. And and just, like, the idea, too. Like, she writes a lot about her mother, who's in her late 80s, and, like like, the experience of caring for a parent, which I think is one of those caregiving experiences that is, like, 
in terms of how common it is, is like way under discussed. And it's like, it's done in this way where it's just totally integrated with other things that are happening in life. Not like, oh, this is a column about like caring for an aging parent. Like it's not, it's just like a holistic view of like what her life looks like at this age, which she's not perfect. I'm not sure she passed. She doesn't like, and here's what's funny about her. Like she doesn't pass like woke internet politics barometer. You know what I mean? Like it's a very funny, there's also like a generational thing going on where she challenges me to be like, okay, what are you really saying? here versus are you using the right signaling words about certain issues? Yeah, but that's also kind of what I like about it, you know? Is that exactly, like She's yeah. like unapologetically herself and, uh, you know, you know, like columns are really hard for me. I'm just like, everybody should only do it for a year and then we should retire you because having a take every week is just like, ugh, like hard. Every time I read her, I'm so happy. Also, I wish she would tweet more. Joyce Wadler, if you hear this, this is my only <laughs> exhortation to you, is to tweet more because her Twitter bio is hilarious. New York Times humor columnist does not want to see pictures of your grandchildren, ever. <laughs> I just like, I mean, she's just like real. I think that's what I like, like about her the most. So anyway, the column is called I Was Misinformed. It's in the Times style section and on the internet. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, and also, like, there's a really good uh, Observer story about, like, her that has, like, really juicy, great details. We'll link to it oh in my the God. show notes. The the public life of Joyce Wadler. Ooh, I can't wait. I don't think, have I seen that? I don't remember. Um, I don't know, but it's, like, amazing. Later, Miss Wadler got confused, pointing to a dark-skinned Indian woman, thinking she was Salman Rushdie's wife, Padma Lakshmi. Told that it wasn't. The Times woman was unperturbed. She was, <laughs> she is mauled wearing a button to such events that reads, Who the fuck are you and why should I care? This is my life at these things. I stumble through. Like, she just like doesn't give a shit. I like love her. <laughs> uh, yes. So yeah, call us. We want to be friends, Joyce. Um, okay, yes. Call us, Joyce. We'll have coffee and discuss. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, like, the last time I ever read somebody calling someone, like, Zaftig, like, it was definitely, like, she was the one that wrote that. And I was like, are we still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that experience, though, of, like, oh, this is, like, not, like, internet okay, but, like, not, like, modern <laughs> feminist okay, but, like, in context, I see where you're going with no, this. No, <laughs> totally. You know, everybody makes sense in context. <laughs> wow. I'll never forget the item that you most wanted at one point in time, a pair of velour sweats that say context on the butt. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Whenever I read an article that I'm like, oh, like this just provides the best context or like they totally miss the context. I like seriously just picture a butt that says context on it context, because of your just wish like list. Walking, like waddling away with context on my butt. I like can't wait. Well, you know, this is another good segue into another article that we read this last week, I guess, that we really enjoyed in um, the in New York Magazine um, about, uh, yeah, it's like the headline is when your best friend is younger than your daughter. And it's all about like cross-generational friendships, which we've like talked about a lot, you know, like, but never, um, yeah, like we don't talk enough about that because... Like, I think we've both said that our favorite kind of mail to receive for CYG is when somebody writes us and they go, hi, I'm not your target audience, or I'm older than you gals, or I, you know, like, whatever. And it's and it's a li- always a little bit apologetic. And, uh, and I'm like, no, you're the only people I'm pandering to. <laughs> I like, yeah, it, makes so me, I- it makes me so happy, you know, that like, I don't know that we like we have a we have a small and mighty audience that listens to us that is not um you know they're like more seasoned than us. Yeah, and like and I don't know that I th- this article sort of says like obviously cross general cross generational relationships aren't new, but it kind of makes this argument that friendships born of common interests as opposed as opposed to friendships born of like geographic proximity or like sharing a workspace are are more common now like because of the internet and I'm like you know like I don't know I I I it also really pushed me to think about like I don't really have a great roster of like cross-generational friends in my life like I have a few but like I could be doing better on this front totally I feel like confident in my like decade plus 10 plus my age like I feel like I have a solid roster there 20 plus I have like few 
30 plus, I'm really shopping around. So <laughs> this is also like, I'm like, I'm going to use this for like, I need, I need, I want new friends. Seeing older people as like in play for friendship, like, you know, as being like, oh, like I could ask this person to brunch or to coffee or whatever. And like, we could be friends is like part of the battle. I know. And I feel like that's really the thing that I, you know, like struggle with slash need to shake off being open to the fact that like they're open to being friends with me. Yeah, and all of my, like, fucking weirdness. <laughs> but in, in general, I'm, yeah, I'm like, all I want is I want more friends. I have also had some, like, I'm thinking about, like, a networky type thing I went to um, a few years ago where I was one of a few women who were under the age of 40. Like, most women there were 40 and above. Um, and it was, like, a weird point of conversation where, like, several women in the course of the night made a comment about how young I was. And that made me, like, not want to before. I was sort of, like, I was here as a peer because I thought we all kind of had a common interest. And, like, you made it about our difference in what I perceived then to be a negative way as opposed to, like, being, like, what do we have in common in a real way? So, um, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, like, it's all their fault. I don't have an older friend. But, like, there's also all these messages that we should be in competition across gender lines or, like, they should be in competition with younger women or, like, you know, and and I think there's also that that you have to get over. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think you're absolutely right, especially when the, like, entry point to meeting is some sort of, like, professional, like, thing, right? Is that, like, it's that. But, yeah, it's also, like, kind of made me think about all of the ways that, you know, like you kind of need to be open to having friends who are different places in life. Like how, you know, now I'm like, oh, some of my friends have kids. So when I have activity, like they should be kid friendly. It's interesting how like I like to think of myself as somebody who is like generally like down for anything. And then I see all of the ways that I can like will tend to limit how and when people hang out with me. And I'm like, oh, like this is a this is also an exercise in like letting go and like reimagining the way that you are, like you make yourself available. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I yeah, I I get that. And you're right. It's like the same skill set that works for trying to make more friends of like generational difference works for trying to make friends of other types of differences too. Yeah. You know, this is one thing I wish somebody had an app for. I was like, I see all these like friendship apps and I'm like, yeah, yeah, like I don't need help with this. But like a cross-generational friendship app, I would be like so down for. And it's like thinking about how that doesn't just default into like a quest for one-way mentorship, but like both parties are like, yeah, we're here because like we want to be like friends in a really real way. Like I think that that would be great too. I can see someone building that app in other words as like a, it's a find a mentor app. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want like a co-equal two-way friendship. Exactly. I, like, Yeah. I hear you on like I want a two-way co-equal friendship, but some in some ways I'm like, God, I have nothing to offer. <laughs> oh my God, that's so wrong. Um I'm just being vulnerable here. So you have so much to offer. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> anyone of any age would be lucky to call you a friend. Doy. Hey, like thanks, um, Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's something I wanna I wanna work more on. You know, like all of the different things that you learn in friendship. And it's like And all of the ways that you should diversify your friend group, like, my God, like, you can learn so much about being, like, a good human being by being friends with people who are older than you and vice versa. Yeah, well, and also what we were just talking about in terms of, like, learning in a personal way, like, parts of history that have been, like, lost to the public narrative through obits. It's like, hello, you can also learn that through, like, a direct personal friendship with someone who is very much alive and several decades older than you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, and also I feel like there's so many of these, like, kind of movies or narratives of the older man taking the younger man under his wing and then they, like learn things and then they get memorialized in history in these like amazing kind of ways you know like friend apprentice lover like model or whatever and we don't really have that we don't have that and it's crazy that we don't have that because there's actually like a rich feminist tradition of women doing this it doesn't get romanticized in the same way that um like male relationships tend to Right. Well, and then also, like you just mentioning, even like saying feminist in this context, like how the public narrative about generations within feminism is always one of opposition. Like, you know, about how like, oh, this wave is like a negative response to that wave. And like, you know, the, the terminology used by like this generation is like, you know, totally at odds with that generation, as opposed to sort of being like, what is the through line? What is like, what is in common here? 
Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, I feel like we know this, like, for a fact. Like, you know, feminists like Gloria Steinem have really taken a lot of younger women under their wing and and done everything from, like, having them live with them and being, like, lifelong friends and, you know, like, like basically, like, modeling that kind of relationship. Yeah, it's, like, in some ways it's, like, expected and not as, uh, yeah, it's not as public of a narrative, which is crazy. Anne, what else are you reading on the internet? Okay, first and foremost, BFF of the podcast, Rebecca Traster, has a new feature about what's Hillary been up to, is how I could summarize it, but also, like, a little bit of, like, a holistic look back at what are the kind of, like, current narratives about what went wrong and, like, what's going on with the people who are actually, like, behind the campaign and how are they picking up their the pieces. I don't know. It was like wide ranging and really interesting and made me think about my own feelings about the election and about Hillary in new ways. I definitely cried while I read it. Yeah, definitely cried while I read it. And also like, I feel like a solid like fourth of the reaction that I saw like on my own internet timeline was people going, where was this Hillary all along? (laughs) And I love that like her speechwriter tweeted back and somebody was like, same old shitty team. <laughs> it's still us. <laughs> like we're mm-hmm. we're here. Like you guys just were not paying attention. So like that, I feel like that was a moment of levity for me. But yeah, I I thought it was a really really good. I felt I felt like every feeling that you're supposed to feel reading this, and then the kind of the like then where do we go next from here? You know, kind of thing. It was also good to just like hear her in her own words. You know, and like still being energized and like all of the stuff that she cares about and see from like other stuff that we're we're reading about her, how she's like throwing her weight behind some of these packs that are raising money to get like new female leadership and like all of that stuff. If Hillary's not in the pit of depression, like I'm okay not being in a pit of depression about the election anymore. Like like onwards. Like it felt good. Yes. Okay. What else are you reading? Um <laughs> I was uh I was dying at this like Sunday review thing in the Times, which like it made me laugh so much I read it twice. Samantha Irby's She's actually written two things for the New York Times in a week, almost like she's a columnist there now. Not really. But uh, it was like an excerpt from her book, If Every Day is a Rainy Day, What Am I Saving For? And it's basically like (laughs) every one of her like insane, you know, like some people would say mistakes. I would say how I also live my life. (laughs) So... She's just like really funny and great. Her book, like We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, is out today. Uh, so get that. And I don't know, you know, there's something like so refreshing about somebody who's honest about like, here's every way I fuck up my money. And, uh, you know, like how many lipsticks is too many lipsticks. It's like, just like talking about that stuff in really honest ways and just being real. And I feel like she, she does that on every topic that she touches. And also like, you'll literally be doubled over dying. And, uh, that made me, it made me really happy. What is so smart about this column, too, is that it's, like, stealthily about, like, systemic wealth disparities. Like, even though it's, like, a very fun, like, kind of lighthearted thing about how she spends her money and where she goes wrong, it's also a masterclass in, like, why all of the the advice about, like, how to plan for the future and, like, how to think about your money is geared toward people who with the assumption that like they will have a lot of money someday (laughs) or like who come from a background of like financial stability. And so like, it's like, it's actually a pretty powerful like corrective to bigger narratives than just like, I spent too much money on a cocktail. Right. And it's like when you start reading those dumb things about like uh, the reason millennials don't have houses is because they're like buying avocado toast. You're like, actually a bitch. I could like just give up avocado toast for like 10 years worth of Lent and like still not be able to afford a house, you know? And just like, yeah, it just like pushes back against all of these like, you are an idiot and you're selfish if you're like out here buying lattes instead of owning property. It's like, no, no, there are bigger forces at play here. Totally. Um, Speaking of expensive lattes, I also read the Times Magazine profile of Amanda Chantal Bacon. Did you read this? Of course I read it. (laughs) Um, Well, it hits this like this like spot for me of like being um, I think we've maybe talked about this before of like the ways that I'm like 
oh my God, like I rejected the traditional religion of my parents. Like, don't make me try to believe in crystals now. Like it, like that is like a real like button for me. And so she fits into this kind of like, like this narrative that I fully acknowledge. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to hate. I'm primed by like personal experience. I mean, yes. And to be like perfectly clear, this woman is like a class A scam artist. Like, let's just <laughs> like put that on the table. Like, he's an actual scam artist. Like, it's nuts. And you know, and there is a part of me too that I'm like, there's a higher in the hierarchy of scammers. It's like scammers who scam other rich ladies are like not the worst kind yeah, of scammer. Yeah, I'm like really but okay yeah. with this. I'm like, I've definitely had the twenty one dollar <laughs> smoothie, and guess what? I like knew exactly what I was getting into. Half of the people who like make fun of people like her are the same people who like buy into that scam. Or like, how many crystals do you have? Yeah, at home? you know, and like, I'm just yeah, like, I'm totally. sorry. Like, you have all of the individual ingredients of you know this like juice that you're in your pantry. Like, how does this make you different? Yes, like for sure, I'm all about equal opportunity scamming. But there is just something about the ways that we like talk about these kinds of women and like minimize them. I don't know. It's also like kind of like writing about them is almost like kind of the blueprint for how you become one of these scammers. You know. Uh, yeah it's like why like we don't write about disordered eating like giving people like specific instructions right you're not like here is the ways I was eating weirdly or how many exact pounds I lost or whatever because of like (laughs) contagion situations but in this too it's like I I don't know I like maybe I'm being completely ludicrous but it just like didn't sit right with me and I can't quite put my finger on what it was that made me feel uncomfortable about it yeah, I don't know. I mean, but she's a scammer, and I'm like not gonna die on the hill of like defending a scammer. I'm like, sorry, that like them's just the breaks, girl. Like you, right? You did the scam, so you gotta pay the time. <laughs> we'll we'll put that in, we'll put this profile into our like critical reading 101 like list of like okay, like let's go through this. I mean, that is like an interesting thing to think about though. Of like, okay, if this article was written like about a man or if this article appeared in a different kind of publication, like thinking about like the ways in which it would change as a way of being like a critical reader. And I think on that front, you were like 100% in the right direction, even if we can agree she's our scammer's favorite scammer. And wellness consumerism, it's its own kind of just like scam in general, you know? <laughs> and, but it's interesting to me that it's like, we, we're always critical of like, you know, like the Gwyneth and the like Amanda Chantal Bacon or whatever her name is. The Tim Ferriss's, Tony Robbins is like people are critical of them, but in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, these guys all exist on one spectrum as far as I'm concerned. 100%. Yeah, like where where is the like winking takedown of the four hour work week? Yet I've yet to read that. Maybe it exists, (laughs) but I have yet to read it. Yeah, it's Um, just, I was at a brunch like recently where like this one woman would not shut up about toxins. And then I just like played dumb and I was like, can you explain to me what toxins are actually? And um, surprise, surprise, yeah, girl, like, just, like, clammed up. <laughs> and I was like, you are out here pushing all of this, like, junk of science on our friends, and you don't even have, like, a one-line explanation for what this shit is. Like, this is crazy. Can I tell you about my, like, where this dovetails with my fears about, like, the collapse of, like, a functioning government that's also happening? So right now, we rely on the FDA to help us tell the difference between a scam and, like, a health product. What happens when the FDA is, like, fully defunded slash, like, disempowered and we're all out here on our own? You're going to be going to a Moon Juice hospital. (laughs) Listen, oh, my God, please. Like, Moon Juice ER, do not check me in. Like, Oh, my God. They're like, here's some matcha powder for your vagina. Good luck. (laughs) It's going to be crazy. I can't. Anyway, I mean, but that's, like, that's where it gets real with, like, this political moment, too, where I'm like, oh, my God, like... I know, you know, and I feel that this is also something that you've challenged me on because, like, usually I am very much like, ugh, like, I don't want to hear any of this. Like, people just started talking about, like, home remedy and witches and, like, whatever. And I literally just, like, shut down. I'm like, I did not leave Africa to die at the hand of a white witch. Like, that's not going (laughs) to happen. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, it's like, I think about, like, every ways that women are built to distrust the, like, medical establishment in general you know and like (laughs) ways that that has really like fucked us over and ways we're like yeah like probably you should have like a modicum of like knowing how your body works or whatever and so you know like it's it's a delicate balance but like by all means like do not like moon juice does not factor into this (laughs) but oh my god like but ladies who drink moon juices probably one day could save your life like who knows i mean honestly i think you just hit on something really important which is that like 
yes, a lot of this stuff is scammy, but it also exists within the bigger scam of like women having had their personal experiences not validated by like the health establishment, by like, you know, the federal government not really paying great attention to like what is good science and like what is healthy for women or for anyone. Like, you know, there's like a bigger systemic scam that like this like other scam fits <laughs> Everything within. Everything is a scam. Yeah. But like, you yeah, know, like, and, like that's the medical why. establishment is a big scam too. Like, please. Oh my God. I pay I for my own even... health insurance now. So like, I know, I like, I can tell you all about medical scams. My God. I mean, if you take off your tinfoil hat and reshape it, you can drink a turmeric latte out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, and turmeric is an (laughs) anti-inflammatory. I'm going to leave you with two very beautiful internet things. You know how we, on this podcast, we've talked about like Stanley Tucci's like a cookbook situation? Yes, of course. Somebody has like combined those photos with Jeff Goldblum is also like, there are like beautiful photos of him like making pizza. And so there are all these like a, like what the screenplay of that would be. Oh my God. And it's really good. Like one suggestion is like divorce husbands who like find each other through cooking for each other again. But also, like, you know, the Tooch, it's like, Stanley Tucci is a patient teacher and compliments your first slash poor attempt at handcrafting an artisanal pizza. Fantastic, he says. (laughs) (laughs) My other favorite photo that's floating around the internet right now is like an official portrait of uh, Justin the scammer Trudeau and Mrs. Trudeau. I think Sophie is her name. Where they're like in a very sexy kind of embrace. Like, it looks amazing. But also you're like this can't be your fucking official portrait for like prime minister of Canada shit. So, you know, it like, it's like, they're so beautiful. It looks like a still from a Netflix movie about a Canadian prime minister. Like, I'm like, you like, you know, you don't even look real in your portrait. This is crazy. It's true. We've also gotten like a real influx of email lately and like tweets about how we were ahead of the curve on Justin the scammer. And I just want to take a minute to feel good about that. Listen, we can spot a scammer like miles ahead. It's amazing. Okay. Um, All of this to say the internet gives and the internet takes, but this week it gave like good content. It gaveth. (laughs) (laughs) It gaveth. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf. Or email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And this podcast is produced by the beautiful Gina Delbeck. Uh, I'll see you on the internet, boo-boo. See you on the internet.